week two, where do you go? Well, a recap of last week, if you're going to be in your Bibles, we are going to be in 2 Kings chapter 3. 2 Kings chapter 3 is interesting because it's one of those chapters where if you cross-reference some verses with some different translations, there's a couple verses in here that actually have some different meanings and even some different texts if you go back to the original. So this is going to be an interesting topic tonight. But I want to kind of give you a recap of last week. We learned, again, that everything begins in the presence of God. Everything. If you are to be successful in ministry and your walk with God, I wouldn't even say successful in what God has predestined you to walk into. It all begins with presence. We've got to make sure that before we try to do anything, it's got to come out of the presence of God. You know, we can do church really easily. People do church all the time. You get a preacher, you get some music, you get some seats, and you get a stage, and you can do church. There's a lot of churches that do church that ain't got no presence. We got to make sure that we're not seeking anything but the presence of God first and foremost, and then let everything flow out of that. And that's what Elisha did. Elisha picks up the mantle of Elijah after he was carried up in that whirlwind. And when he picked up the mantle, when he picked up Elijah's cloak, it says he struck the water, and then he said, God, where are you? After he said, God, where are you? Then the water parted. Because we need to understand the power was not in the thing. The power came from the presence of God. And when you're in the presence of God, if he tells you to strike something with a cloak or a stick or whatever, the power is not in the thing. The power is in his presence. And what you're doing is coming into agreement with what he's asked you to do in the presence. Does that make sense? Amen. Another thing is that God does not leave us. Now, we can leave him, but God does not leave us. Remember, the men went looking for Elijah, even though Elijah said he ain't going to find him. And they were like, well, maybe God left him on the other side of the mountain, or maybe God left him in this area. And we realized that God don't leave you. If you're seeking him and you're in his presence, you always in it. Elijah wasn't going to be found because he was following the presence all the way to where God took him, amen? So we weren't going to find him because God left him somewhere, but he was in his presence. And being in the presence really, truthfully, is the ultimate pinnacle of restoration. Because in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were simply in the presence of God. So we were talking about that a lot, and at the end, this mob of mockers, tried to stop Elisha from going to his next destiny, and they were calling him baldy. Anyone that has an issue with bald people, you need to go somewhere. <laughs> Baldness is linked to anointing, okay? As if I needed to turn around for you to see that. So Elisha at this point, after he has fulfilled his assignments, after God has taken care of the mockers by sending bears to maul them, amen, Elisha has returned to Samaria. And we're about to see what's going on in the days of Elisha in his assignment to Samaria. So starting out in verses 1 through 3, it says this, Ahab's son, Joram, began to rule over Israel in the 18th year of King Jehoshaphat's reign in Judah. So remember, King Jehoshaphat, he's been reigning 18 years, and this guy is a newbie. He reigned in Samaria 12 years. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, but not to the same extent as his father and mother. He at least tore down the sacred pillar of Baal that his father had set up. 
That's a good thing, right? Nevertheless, he continued in the sins that Jeroboam, son of Naboth, had committed and let the people of Israel to commit. Now, remember, Jehoram, this, this dude came from, let's just say, a dysfunctional family. When your dad is Ahab with a reputation of the most evil king in Israel and your mom is Jezebel, you ain't exactly postured for great things. You know, when you grow up in an environment like that, you really wouldn't expect him to become a preacher, right? You really wouldn't expect him to become a prophet. If you grow up in a home of evil and evil, you know, a seed produces after its own kind. That, that's a word to some parents. If you want your kids to go somewhere, you need to be where they want to, you want them to go? Okay. <laughs> Jehoram came from a very dysfunctional family, right? Now, Jehoram wasn't as bad as them, but he was still pretty evil. In fact, if you remember in the scripture, it says he at least tore down the altars of Baal. The issue is he didn't do that in the name of Jesus. He didn't do that in the name of Yahweh. He tore down the altars of Baal because he was captured up in his own worship of another false god. So that's why the Bible says at least he tore it down. Didn't tear it down for the name of, of Yahweh, but at least it got torn down in his reign. Does that make sense? And I think a lot of people like to justify things. Well, at least we did this, but who are you doing it for? Or are you doing it in the name of God? Are you doing it in the name of Jesus? Or are you doing it in the name for yourself? I would even say there's an issue of today of are you doing it in the name of American pride? Because I, I love America. But I love America. I love Canada, believe it or not. I love South America. I love Africa. I love Australia. I, lo I love I, I, everyone is created in the name of Jesus. Whether or not they follow him or not is up to them. But we cannot do things out of American pride. We need to do it out of what is God asking me to do and how does God want me to live and represent. And that should, that should affect every decision you ever make. We don't just need to, to tear down false altars in the name of America. We need to tear down false altars in the name of Jesus. Okay? So you got this climate of leaders leading for the glory of everything but Yahweh. In verse 4, it says, King Mesha of Moab was a sheep breeder. He used to pay the king of Israel, this was talking about Ahab, an annual tribute of 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. But after Ahab's death, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. This annual tribute, I know that none of you know about this, but it was taxes. Okay? That's what this annual tribute was. It was a taxation that King Ahab put on the Moabites, okay? And now that King Ahab is dead and his son is reigning, King, uh, king, king, the king Mesha of the Moabites saw an opportunity. Okay, let's escape taxation. Let's get out of this. Now, they weren't doing it in the name of God. They just didn't want to submit to any of the governing authorities. Okay? Y'all quiet. They didn't want to pay taxes anymore. They were out of the king's uh, uh, dominion. So they're like, okay, if there's a time to rebel, now's the time. So look at verse 6. King Joram promptly mustered the army of Israel and marched from Samaria. 
On the way, he sent a message to King Jehoshaphat of Judah. The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you join me in battle against him? And Jehoshaphat replied, of course. You and I are as one. My troops are your troops. My horses are your horses. And then Jehoshaphat asked, and keep keep the slide up here for a while if you don't mind. Then Jehoshaphat asked, what route will we take? We will attack from the wilderness of Edom, Joram replied. It's a very interesting dynamic. Because you got King Joram, who's worshiping false gods. Then you got King Jehoshaphat, who's worshiping who? Yahweh. Remember, he was in the middle of the army, and he cried out to God, and God basically pulled him out of that in the days of Elijah. That's who King Jehoshaphat is. And the interesting dynamic is this one who loves God and this one who doesn't, they're coming together to fight a battle. Judah and Israel are actually one at this time. Now, here's where it gets interesting, because if you read the original, well, maybe not original, but if you read the what we would consider an original translation, the King James, even the New King James, you don't see Jehoshaphat asked and Joram replied. You simply see he asked, what route will we take? And we will attack from the wilderness of Edom, he replied. It was just a he. It wasn't a name. If you look at some translations, even like the Amplified version or other versions, the names are actually flipped around which is actually the correct way to read it. It's it's supposed to be Joram asked. And if you don't believe me, you can look up translations and check it out. Joram asked, what route will we take? Jehoshaphat replied, we will will attack from the wilderness of Edom. You ask, what does that matter? Well, the reason Joram is asking Jehoshaphat Because Jehoshaphat is the one with the military background. Joram, remember, is this new king. He's not the one with the experience. Jehoshaphat is. Jehoshaphat's the one seeking God. Joram isn't. So actually, in in the original text, Joram is the one asking Jehoshaphat, what should we do? What's the strategy? Jehoshaphat was more experienced. And the evil king is asking for advice from a man who worships Yahweh instead of trying to figure out, what should I do? Your fruit will always be known whether they believe in your God or not. The reason Joram is going to Jehoshaphat, because he's got proven military victory. He's got fruit growing from his vine, if you will. He's successful. He's got a great kingdom. And Joram is like, I see that fruit. Let me go seek guidance from the one who's producing fruit. And if we would learn to follow God in everything we do, even the world will be attracted to the fruit we bear, even if they don't like where the fruit came from. The issue in the church is that the world sees a bunch of rotten fruit. And the world sees Christians living no different than they are, and their response is, well, if that's the lifestyle I need to get to God, I'm just going to keep doing, and I don't need your church, I don't need your gatherings, I don't need anything, and that's why in 2021, we have a culture that basically embraces whatever God you believe in, it leads to heaven, because the ones who say they believe in Jesus don't look like him. 
We say we have faith, but we obey COVID regulations more than the law. And I'm not saying don't honor regulations, but we are so critical about do this or do that, but when God says, my law says homosexuality is wrong, we like to change the law based off the culture. When the law says tithe, but you broke, don't come to me and tell me you're praying for money. Oh, is that, is that too much? Because we love to talk about, well, grace fulfills the law. We love to talk about how it's not about law anymore. Jesus did not come to abolish the law. He's, it, he came to fulfill it. The law is not meant to keep you back. The law is meant to give you guidelines of how to produce the most beautiful fruit. And if the church would start embracing that, if the people of God would start embracing that, there would be so much fruit produced that the world would start saying, what do you have going on that we don't? Why is it that you're still gathering and no one's getting COVID and we're putting regulations but we're still getting it? But are they seeing that fruit yet? And I'm not trying to just harp on that, but it's just the easiest example in 2021. Right? It, wh wh where are you putting your faith in? Fruit's fruit. And Joram is like, I would be dumb not to ask Jehoshaphat what to do in this military conquest. Now here's where it gets interesting. Verse 9 and 10. The king of Edom and his troops joined them, and all three armies traveled along a roundabout route through the wilderness for seven days. That's a lot of walking. I get tired of walking from here to my truck. But there was no water for the men or the animals. What should we do, the king of Israel cried out. Let me read that in a different way. What should we do? Jehoshaphat, your God brought the three of us here to let the king of Moab defeat us. Interesting shift. He went from, I need your help of where to go, and now he's saying, your God brought us to this place with no water, now we're going to die. It's your God's fault. They're thirsty. There's no water. And King Joram, the evil one, immediately starts to think, your God brought us here and we're going to die. In other words, he's believing that God is judging them. And that is just like people. So often we call on God and God's people when we need something, but then blame God and assume judgment when things go wrong. Well, where's God now? Why did God let this happen? Why is God doing this to me? Sometimes God will bring you to difficult places, but it's not to leave you, it's to teach you dependence. Because it's really easy to depend on God when you're seeing the automatic stuff come down from heaven. I need, boom, I need, boom, I need, boom, I need. Walk around for seven days, you ain't got water. You gonna let us die? When really he should have been saying, can, can you ask God for some rain? But that's what the people of God do. We love to call on the name of Jesus, but when we get to a place where it seems like God's not there, we assume he's not there. God didn't lead them because they got to a dry place. God is just with them wondering, 
Who are they going to cry out to? But King Jehoshaphat, verse 11 of Judah, asked, Is there no prophet of the Lord with us? And here's where we're getting to it. What's the title of today's message? Where do you go? Because Joram went to blame. The king of Edom doesn't say a word throughout the entire passage. But Jehoshaphat, the first thing he thinks about is what? I'm going to God. King Jehoshaphat, Judah asks, is there no prophet of the Lord with us? If there is, we can ask the Lord what to do through him. One of King Joram's officers replied, well, Elisha, son of Shaphat's here. He used to be Elijah's personal assistant. Some versions say he used to pour hands or pour water on the hands of Elijah. That was actually a mark of an assistant. Jehoshaphat said, yes, the Lord speaks through him. So the king of Israel, the king Jehoshaphat of Judah, and the king of Edom went to consult with Elisha. Both kings, Jehoram and Jehoshaphat, believed that this was a spiritual issue. One blamed God, and the other one said, we got to seek God. And oftentimes in difficult situations, we always have two choices, run to him or run from him. And oftentimes we run, we run from him because of personal conviction. Because, you know, the, the, the king probably thought, well, of course he's leading me to defeat. I don't worship him. Uh, of course God's doing this to me. He led me to a place where there's no water because I don't give him glory. Typical, I've heard the story. I haven't learned from the stories, but I've heard all about it. Ahab didn't worship God. My dad didn't worship God. So Ahab died. I heard all about it. But isn't that where some believers go because they, they, they had this idea of God must be punishing me because I haven't been a good Christian lately? We've all been there. Why isn't it happening for me, Kyle? Why am I in this place where it seems like I'm thirsty for this, but God's not providing any water? Have you run to him or are you finding reasons to run from him? We hear it from people all the time. I'm not worthy to go to church. If I walked into church, the building would catch on fire. Well, if it did, that building probably deserves to catch on fire. Because there is no perfect people. We are all perfected unto righteousness by Jesus, not by your works or by your way. But oftentimes we, we don't like to get in the presence of God and we start to separate ourselves from the presence of God because we feel for some reason we're not worthy to step in. <clears throat> he made you worthy. Stop questioning him. Why do we question God all the time? We question the law all the time. You remember um, when, when, when God was destroying Sodom and Gomorrah, he gave dude's wife one command? Don't look back, or you're going to turn into a pillar of salt. And just like people, what does she do? Right? But God, but, but we do the same thing. We, we like to pick on Lot, is it Lot, right? I, I don't know my Bible sometimes. Lot's wife. We, we do that. Lot's wife turns around after he says, don't turn around. God says, don't lie, but we figure a white lie is okay. God says, don't gossip. Well, I'm just getting counseled. Right? We're all guilty of it. 
God's very clear about things, but for some reason, the human condition loves to do everything opposite, trying to test out God. It doesn't matter where you are in a time of crisis or a time of need. You always should take a posture of, I'm running toward him no matter what. I wonder where do you go when things get tough and depression comes and anxiety comes and hurt comes? I wonder where do you go when it seems like everything is coming against you? Do you go to the pastor first or do you go to God first? I'm not bigger than him. And I'm trying to challenge you because where we go first says a lot about who we actually have a relationship with. Like, like married couples, I hate to burst your bubble, but don't go to your husband or wife first. Go to God first, and the conversation is probably going to be a little bit easier. <laughs> is this okay? Where do you go? Why? Why should we go to him and everything? Because God wants the glory as the one who provided. These three kings are in this place where they need water, and all God wants is glory. We're told he's a jealous God. We're told that God wants glory, and here he is wanting glory again. Let me bring you to a place where you've got to ask me. So Jehoshaphat asked, is there a prophet? So you remember, this is Old Testament, so they didn't have the Holy Spirit in them like we do. The Holy Spirit is around and talking, and he's talking through the gift of the prophets. So Jehoshaphat is just in order. He's, it's not that he did a bad thing by not saying, hey, God, he goes to the one that is positioned to hear from God. And he says, hey, well, we, we, we got to go to that. We got to get direction from God, which we are at both places today. We have the gift and we have the ability. He has graced us as worthy to enter into the holy place. And say, God, give me some direction. And even in that, the Bible gives us some pretty solid things about where to go. Because we can go into the presence of God. We can go and talk to the Father. But Proverbs 15.22 says, plans go wrong because you've got a lack of advice. Many advisors bring success. The issue is, most people seek out advice not from godly people, but just yes people. You'll talk to everyone who will affirm you, but you won't give your, your, your situation to the person who you fear will say, you're doing the wrong thing. You're chasing after the wrong path. We love yes people, but, but the, the idea of lack of advice, your plans go wrong because you got advice from yes people. It says many advisors bring success. It's talking about many counselors. We need to go to people who are seeking God and go there together. Where do you go? Do you go to your friends who you're trying to get in church? I've been praying all day for, you know, Johnny to get saved. And then I had an issue, so I went to Johnny for advice. Sometimes the one you need to go to advice ain't the ones who you trust. Sometimes mommy and daddy ain't the ones you need to ask. Sometimes you need to get in the family of God, the ones who are seeking, and say, what is going on with this? Why is it so important to build a community of believers? Because we need to be in the presence of others who are seeking just as much as we want to. It's going to put a demand on us to go further. 
Why do you think the enemy is coming against the one thing that Christians do? Join together in a weekend gathering. The enemy is trying to stop it because right now that's all we do. He, he's not, he's, he doesn't have new schemes. Think, think about the Garden of Eden. They could have taken anything that God said, but not this one tree. So you know what Satan starts talking about? The one thing they couldn't touch. And now in 2021, the one thing we have, Satan's pointing it out. Who do you go to? Where do you go? Are you asking from the people who are seeking? Are you asking Holy Spirit to guide you? What, what, what stuff are you listening to in your podcasts and your videos? Are you taking advice from TikToks and celebrities who have like a 90% suicide rate? You're laughing, but am I wrong? Where was that? These three kings. I'm not doing it. These three kings usually would demand for people to come to them. But here in the scripture, we see that when they find out that Elisha's there, they all go to Elisha. Look at that humility. Kings usually send forth. They usually don't go to. I wonder how many times your pride will dictate where you go or where you don't go. Or rather prevent us from going anywhere when the best place to be is in the presence of those who seek. Well, you just don't know how my week went. I don't care how your week went. Get in the presence of those who seek. So they go to Elisha. And in verse 13, I love Elisha. Why are you coming to me? I kind of wish that was my like automatic text reply. Why are you coming to me, Elisha asked the king of Israel. Go to the pagan prophets of your mama and dad. But King Jordan of Israel said, no, it was your God who called the three kings here only to be defeated by the king of Moab. Elisha replied, as surely as God lives whom I serve, I won't even bother with you except for my respect for King Jehoshaphat of Judah. Now bring someone who can play the harp. If I was King Joram, I'd been like, what is this fool doing? I'm here talking about what, what are we doing? You, you getting a harp player and you telling me you don't want no time with me? Well, while the harp was being played, the power of the Lord came upon Elisha. You know, Elisha's call was to continue in Elijah's ministry. So he spoke very plain, just like Elijah. He says, why are you coming to me? We don't even talk to the same God. I love that. Because that's kind of my response sometimes. Like, why are you coming to me? You ain't going to take my advice anyways. Why are you coming to me? I'm telling you what to do, and you're just going to go do the opposite. Don't waste my time. Y'all ever known people like that? They come and ask for your advice only to do the opposite thing? Kids? 
Kids, right? Think about that. You tell a kid to do one thing, they usually mess it up somehow. Maybe that's why we're called the children of God. The father says, do this, and you say, okay, God, but in my time, not your time, right? You tell a kid, put it down, and they just hold it. Same thing with people of God. God says, put that drink down, put that, for me, put that Facebook down, put that this down, put that this down, and then we just, we just hold it. You know, the Bible says you can't have two masters. You know that? Only God can be your master. The truth of the matter is, if you've got stuff you can't say no to, you've got more than one master. And a lot of times, where do you go? You go to that master instead of King Jesus. You see, that's the issue with things like addiction. It prevents you from going to your true master. But there's so many things, whether it be addiction or something else, that things have master over us. That's why the Bible says where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And then he tells you where to put your treasure, but you don't. And then you wonder why God don't show up for you. Is this okay? Because y'all are super quiet. Joram's like, listen, I'm not going to my people. I'm going to you because your God put us in this situation. Your God told Jehoshaphat to go this way. It took us seven days in the wilderness. Now we're here. We ain't got water. We are thirsty. Our animals are thirsty. And now the people who we were going to try to conquer, they're going to conquer us. So Elisha sees this fruit from Jehoshaphat. He says, you know, if it wasn't for that guy, I ain't going to talk to you at all. But because he's there, I'll put up with you. This is a great way to, pr- to prove the point that you need to be around people who seek God. Go where seekers go, even if you aren't in their level of seeking. Because you'll find yourself learning to seek God and find yourself exactly where you need to be. It's funny how when we're trying to seek God for direction, we ask the questions of like, God, where should I go? I think sometimes God's response is look around you and see where the church is going. See where the people are going. But make sure they're seeking. Come into agreement with seekers, you'll probably start to hear better and learn better and flow better. I've gotten nothing but tech for some reason. I Can I just be transparent? This past couple weeks, I've been down, and I had no reason to be down. I was beating myself up like, with like, man, you, you don't do enough. You're not working hard enough. You're not this. You're not that. And after I started thinking like that, all week, I've been getting all kind of messages and calls. Talking about I, I've been learning this, and I've been battling this, and because I've, I've heard that, I've been, I've been getting on top here. I mean, just testimony after testimony. You know what happened in that moment? Because I'm connected to a body of believers, even though I'm the lead pastor, in a moment I needed the body to lift me up, and because you're listening, you said exactly what I needed to hear. That's why we're supposed to be connected. 
Can I tell you a funny story a little bit? So someone in this house was talking to a pastor in the area, and the pastor said, hey, can I get Pastor Kyle's number? And they were like, oh, sure, what, what for? And the pastor said, well, I want to figure out what strategies he's using due to the lack of attendance of his church during COVID. Now, we're a little thin tonight, more than usual, but the person at the pastor and said, well, we've actually grown. What are you talking about, lack of attendance? And the pastor was like, wait a minute, you, people are coming? During COVID? How's he doing that? You know what my response is? Seeking God. Because isn't it funny how we always try to get the strategy? We always try to figure out what's working. You know what works? Seek God and get connected to people who seek God. We've overcomplicated what the body of Christ should be about. If we're connected to people who seek God, where do you go? You go to the ones you built a relationship with. Where do you go? You go to the ones that are, that, that are going to give you wisdom from God and not wisdom of man. That's the purpose of being connected. I believe where do you go has a lot to do with where you're truly connected. And they come to him, and Elisha's like, I'll give you some time just because one of them is like me. One of them is a God seeker. And, he, and the first thing he does is he says, get me a harp. Why? You know what Colossians 3.16 says? It says, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Ephesians 5.18-19. Don't be drunk with wine. That's going to ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. What's a mark of it? Singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs among yourselves, and making music to the Lord in your hearts. Elisha had to get refocused. Because if you notice, in Colossians 3.16, it says, Teach and counsel with the wisdom that God gives. And just like wine can cause someone to be drunk, Frustration in someone can cause you to give advice that's not from God, but from your frustration. Like when someone comes to you, and they've been doing the same thing over and over, and you just give them some advice that you know ain't from God, because you didn't take the time to get refocused to what is the wisdom and counsel from Almighty want to say through you, you willing vessel, to the person who came to you. Sometimes you got to get refocused. You know why Elisha brought the harp? He had to get refocused. He's talking to a king who he knows what Elijah went through with Ahab. He don't want to go through that again. He knows all about Jezebel. He knows all about uh, the late King Ahab. Jezebel ain't even dead yet. We're going to get to that later on. But he's like, I don't want to go through this again. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to deal with you. He probably wanted to, want to say, you want some advice? Sit there and pray to your God for some water. That's probably the advice that he wanted to give him. You ever been there? Yeah, pray to your God, see what happens. But that's actually not the advice God wants to give. God says he wants us to bless those who persecute us. God, God's got a whole different way of doing things. 
He asked for the heart player because he knew that he could not be persuaded with what he was hearing from an ungrateful, blaming God king. He needed to refocus and set his mind on where? Things above. You know what Colossians 3, 1 through 2 says about that? Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Yet for some reason, when churches try to figure out how do we win souls and teach people the ways of God, the last thing we're setting our sights on is heaven. We're looking at earth. That's why half of these churches are now ordaining homosexual ministers because they're not setting their, their sights on heaven. They're changing law based off of seeing the earth. You've got to set your mind not here. How do I deal with the disease? How do I deal with poverty? Set your mind on things of heaven because you know what heaven says? Oh, you're broke and you only have a $100 paycheck? Tied anyways. You remember what Rick said? 50 bucks a week. I believe if that man had not set five on the counter, that 50 would not have raised the family. But a tithe off of a little will expand the little into much. You can't change law based off of earthly circumstance. Set your mind on things above. Well, I've had a bad week. What do I do? Change the sound of why you've had a bad week. Pastor Kyle, can you pray for me? No, but I'll give you some instruction. Is that too bold? Pastor Kyle, I've had a really bad week. I've had this at work. I've had this in my family. My first question have you changed the sound? If you say no, I'm going to say, go change your sound and then talk to me. Because prayer ain't going to work right now. You don't need to pray about something that God's already given you ability to do. God, I, Kyle, Pastor Kyle, is, is this okay? Pa Pastor Kyle, I need, I need you to help me out. I'm trying to decide whether or not I should forgive this person. Prayer's not needed. Because we are commanded to. And I, I, I know it's funny, but this is something we all deal with. Where do you go? Do you go? Because when you set your mind in heavenly places, your mind goes into the courts of the Almighty. Where do you go? And let me just say this. That harp player would never have imagined that his musical skill would have been used for military strategy. I don't care what your gift is, use it for the glory of God and the body of Christ. Because your gift could take the body to a whole other level that we never dreamed of because it needs what you got. Well, all I can do is this. All he could play was the harp. Look at verse 16. Oh, this is okay. He said, this is what the Lord says. Now remember, Elisha's finally gone to the presence of God because now his ears have changed. 
from frustration to praise. This is what the Lord says. This dry valley will be filled with pools of water. You will neither see wind nor rain, says the Lord, but this valley will be filled with water. You will have plenty for yourselves and your cattle and other animals, but this is only a simple thing for the Lord. He will make you victorious over the army of Moab. Now remember, the dude's complaining, we thirsty and your God has brought us here to be defeated. And now God says, not only will I meet your thirst, I'm going to make you victorious over the Moabites, even though you never give me worship. How do you explain that? Because not, God's not going to ask his people to do anything that he won't do himself. Pray for those who persecute you. Bless your enemy. What did God just do? Okay. Because God, I, I believe God doesn't see necessarily the evil king. He sees the one that he created and he loves him so much that he would do anything to see that man redeemed. So we forget about, you know, even like Jezebel. Even Jezebel was made before she was in her mother's womb, and God had a plan for her. Okay. You will conquer the best of their towns, even the fortified ones. You'll cut down their good trees, stop up their springs, ruin all their good land with stones. Now, what's interesting, remember how I told you this chapter had a few things that was different in different translations? This version says fill with pools of water, but you know the New King James actually says make this valley full of ditches for this valley will be filled with water. You see, God promised to send the water but they had to dig ditches to catch the water because faith without works is dead. And a lot of times God will say I'm going to do this but you'll never walk out that promise until you see signs of the promise. But notice what God told Elisha to tell them. You're not going to see wind, and you're not going to see rain. In other words, you're not going to be able to look for a sign on this one. I'm telling you to dig the ditches, get to digging. Well, I'm just waiting on God's time, and sometimes when God says to do something, just do it. Nike didn't come up with that. Dig the ditches, the water's going to come. Because when God promises you something, you got to go ahead and get ready to receive it. And the point of a blessing is to make you ready for something. Because, see, God didn't just want to fill up the ditches and, and, and the pools and have all this water for the three kings and their people to have a pool party. He wasn't filling the land up with water so they could just have fun in the water. The point of the blessing of water was to nourish them and position them for victory in the upcoming battle. And I think sometimes when God blesses us, we never use it for its purpose. We just sit in the blessing instead of moving forward with a new readiness. God says, I'll give you water, and with the water, I'll make you victorious. You're going to conquer towns. You're going to cut down trees. You're going to stop the springs. You're going to ruin their land. And I wonder how many times God says, here, and you get a blessing, but you never ask God, what would you have me do with the blessing rather than just me enjoy it? Maybe he's given you something to prepare you for something. 
One thing I've heard a lot lately, and this is a great thing. I just thank God for this church because I'm learning all this stuff and I'm, I'm, I'm growing deeper. Because he's blessing you with something more to prepare you for something. Maybe you should start asking God, what are you preparing me for? Why am I going deeper? Why am I learning this? Why am I getting this? He is preparing you for something. Why am I having this financial breakthrough? He's preparing you for something. Why do I have all this peace? He's preparing you for something. Why did they get the water? He was preparing them for something. And the thing about digging ditches, can you imagine what these three kings would have faced when they went back to the people? Because remember, they went to Elisha. So when they came back, they looked at their tired people who've been walking for seven days and says, okay, guys, the Lord says we got to start digging ditches. Sometimes faith is also trusting in the leaders you submit to that they are listening. And even if it's something crazy, go along with it. But you better make sure who you're submitted to is listening to God. Verse 20. The next day about that time when a morning sacrifice was offered, water suddenly appeared. It was flowing from the direction of Edom. And soon there was water everywhere. Now, remember, the king of Israel is thinking, God's punishing us. God's let us down. But remember where the three kings are from? Israel, Judah, and Edom. Where's the water flowing from? Edom. Because where there is unity in the body, the blessing can flow from all sorts of directions. But are you positioned for it? Are you connected for it? Or are you trying to hoard all the water for yourself? instead of serving the needs in the body? Are you full of pride where you don't want to take on people alongside of you when facing an issue? I think a lot of times when we face an issue, pride comes so we don't want to ask for help. So we don't ask for help and then we never conquer the issue. The water came from the dude who don't say one word in the whole scripture, his kingdom. It's funny how two out of these three are not seeking God, but God's doing so much because of being connected to one. And there was water everywhere. And if you notice, it didn't just appear everywhere. It said it was flowing from the direction of Edom, and soon there was water everywhere. I wonder, had they only dug a little bit of a ditch, if the water would have kept flowing. And I think that's something to be said about where we're at in the church because the blessing was not digging the ditch. The blessing was what? The water. And the one to be worshipped for the water was God. But the issue in church is when we start digging the ditch, we no longer rely on God we start to worship the ditch. It's called systems. You'll build a system to contain something that God is pouring into, 
and then pastors like the one this week are asking, how come we can't grow? It's because you're too scared to dig another ditch. Or you're too scared to change the direction of your current ditch. Because you worship the system instead of God. You see, God surpasses all understanding. Yet for some reason, we try to contain him in what we understand. Sometimes we got to be willing to do stuff that just don't make sense if, you're true, if your mind is truly set on heaven. I wonder, where do you go? Do you go to systems or do you go to God asking what system? Right? Where do you go? Verse 21. Meanwhile, when the people of Moab heard about the three armies marching against them, they mobilized every man who was old enough to strap on the sword, and they stationed themselves among their border. But when they got up the next morning, the sun was shining across the water, making it appear red to the Moabites like blood. It's blood, the Moabites exclaimed. The three armies must have attacked and killed each other. Let's go, men of Moab and collect the plunder. But when the Moabites arrived at the Israelite camp, the army of Israel rushed out and attacked them until they turned and ran. The army of Israel chased them into the land of Moab, destroying everything as they went. They destroyed the towns, they covered the good land with stones, they stopped up the springs, and they cut down all the good trees. Finally, only Kir Harasheth and its stone walls were left, but men with slings surrounded it and attacked it. Literally everything that God told Elijah to save just happened. You see, the water, the blessing, served more of a purpose than just to make them ready for victory. It was actually a means of confusion and defeat to the enemy. What if we were to walk in the day where if we go to God and the people of God seeking him, we walk in such blessing for the purpose of preparing us for victory, and then the enemy's efforts start to get confusing? What if all the efforts of the enemy, Satan himself starts to get confused? Let me get even more detailed than that. The enemy is trying to shut the doors of the church. Through mandates, through cultural ideals. Mark my words, we're going to see a day where they're going to try to shut down the church because we're not okay with you know, L, B, G, T, Q, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. It, it, they're they're going to try. The enemy is trying to shut the doors of the church. So you know what we got to do? We got to go to God, and we got to start listening and figure out what ditches to dig so that when the church grows in ways other than physical buildings and the power of God gets stronger, in the absence of a service, the enemy starts to get confused and saying, how in the heck are the people of God flourishing? I've taken away their buildings. I've taken away their sanctuaries. I've taken away their physical altars. I've taken away their sound. I've taken away every. How is the church stronger than before? Because this ditch could change, and we're cool with it.
We've got to make sure that everything in the name of Jesus is really about the name of Jesus. The ditches we're digging right now are incredible. But I don't worship the ditch. I worship the one who wants to fill the ditch. And I don't care what the ditch looks like as long as we're receiving whatever God's pouring out. That's where we need to be, church. This whole message, where do you go? You know, in January, there's this whole, you got to get a vaccine or you can't work. They're, they're, they're saying about. Well, my Bible says I have nothing to fear. I'm not one way or the other on it. If you feel led to get a vaccine, do it. But if you don't, don't. Don't let a threat make your decision for you. Where do you go? Security or God? He's not going to lead you astray. Do you really believe when the Bible says he won't forsake you or fail you? It's really simple. Where do you go? Do you go to the threat of what could happen and start making decisions off of a picture that you're painting? Or are you simply going to God and saying, what would you have me do, Lord? The last two verses, verse 26 and 27. When the king of Moab saw that he was losing the battle. This is where it gets really interesting. I want you all to focus on this. He led 700 of his swordsmen in a desperate attempt to break through the enemy lines near the king of Edom, but they failed. So they're losing. Do you all understand this? But look what the king of Moab does. And then the king of Moab took his oldest son, who would have been the next king, and sacrificed him as a burnt offering on the wall. He killed his son and set him on fire. So there was great anger against Israel. Then the Israelites withdrew and they returned to their own land. This dude took his own son and sacrificed him to honor his pagan gods because he couldn't accept defeat. You understand that? This was a radical gesture. Let's turn that down a little bit. The dude killed his son because he wanted to prove to people that he was determined not to lose. And it was such a radical gesture that it convinced the three kings to go back. Nothing else is mentioned about it. Now, in my reading, I would assume that they did the wrong thing. Because God said, I'm going to give you complete victory over the Moabites. And then this crazy act of one dude caused them to retreat. And we're in a time in this world where there's a lot of crazy stuff going on and we're retreating because of those crazy things. And if God has said that we should not back down, if God has told us that we have victory, why are we letting these, these radical ideals cause us to retreat instead of standing our ground in the name of God, never backing down on what we believe, never backing down on what we feel that God is telling us? Where is that church? The church has begun to rely on 
let's replace the gathering with internet? Are people dumb? Because let me just get straight with this. If the gathering turns into just internet, it's easier for them to shut the gathering down. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying, why are we retreating because of these radical things? Oh no, a disease. When we worship a God that we call the healer. Oh no, the market's going to crash. Oh no, there might be another horrible economic thing. Everything is in God. We have no need. What are we worried about? Because we don't go to him. Everything else. Where do you go to? When you see perversion like they saw in this king. Where do you go to when you see Satan lifted high? Where do you go to when you need advice? We've got to surround ourselves in the company of believers who seek God and start to ask God for direction. He'll never fail you. He'll always provide for you.